Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. Here's a couple of headlines. Wall Street braces for a week earnings season. Goldman Sachs getting ready to lay off a lot of people. Uh, we also know that Macy's has closed some locations. Whenever we have questions about the economy, especially when it comes to your spending habits and the spending of the American public, we go to our friend from KB Advisory Group, Kristen Bentz. Kristen, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Um, let's before we look forward, let's look back a little bit. Let's look back at the holiday spending. Um, any surprises? Did you see anything that surprised you or was it what you expected? And what did we see? Well, you know, it's funny to be balking at, you know, two point one billion <laughs> um, in holiday sales. So, you know, I thought it would be a flat, lackluster holiday. To me, it was. And as you're going to see these retail numbers pour in in the next month, um, I will be proven right, unfortunately. But it's not about being right. Um, you know, it's what's right for the consumer and what's right for the country. So people did spend. It's how they finance those expenditures that um, really is important to me. Uh, and a lot of that was done on credit cards, unfortunately. So the credit cards were a part of it. How many people were taking advantage now of places like Amazon and other places with layaway, with buy now, pay later? Well, buy now, pay later really jumped over the holiday. Um, I think about four to six percent of purchases were made using you know those options. But the thing that's interesting is the amount of money that they were financing decreased, which is very scary. So if you're using installment payments to pay for something, but it's not like a computer, it's you know a pair of shoes that are like thirty bucks. That's not exactly boding well for the U.S. consumer. So when you look at uh, how things went, when you look at, at that time period of where we were spending, um, what do you see now looking forward with, with uh, Macy's closing? Should we be concerned that Macy's is closing down all these locations across the country? Well, a lot of, you know, this is such a story for another day. You know, a lot of Macy's wounds are self-inflicted. So they've been going through this turnaround program that they've dubbed Polaris. And for a while, they were actually making headway. And then when you have a strapped consumer, which they just came out um, this week and lowered their numbers for holiday. So they're retroactively telling you how bad it was. <laughs> and the things that they noticed about the consumer is they really weren't spending as much, especially on apparel, which is obvious across the board. So it's really not boding well, you know, for, um, you know, the, the upcoming, you know, I don't even want to call it holiday season, but the remainder of the shopping season for spring. Kristen Benz is joining us. She is the head of the KB Advisory Group and a retail analyst. I want to read a tweet that you sent me. Employment participation rose, especially in the lower income sectors. The share of people with multiple jobs leapt above pre-pandemic norms. Higher prices may be changing behavior. What does that tell you? Well, absolutely. And this is what I do for a living. I watch how people spend their money or how they don't spend their money and also how they live and work. So what we're seeing now is where, you know, during the pandemic, you may have started door dashing or driving for Uber or things of that nature just to kind of supplement because you couldn't get to your regular job. Right now, just to function, the average U.S. consumer is taking on two to three side gigs or two to three jobs just to make ends meet. So, you know, everyone, the recession, you know, it's such a political term that you and I discuss all the time. Technically, I believe we're still in it. That's three consecutive quarters of negative GDP. Going forward, we're seeing all of these layoffs and it's hard not to get, you know, a little shudder up the spine when you hear Amazon laying off 18,000 people. Golden, like you said, 3,200. Um, you know, all, Bed Bath & Beyond is about to go under. Carvana is not long for this world. So all of those headline, you know, um, 
you know, names that are coming up start really weighing on the consumer. And you start looking at your checkbook and looking at, you know, your credit card statements and things are tight. So going forward, it's going to be a tight couple months. So a lot of those jobs are seasonal. We know that as, as people ramp up for the holiday season. So if people are losing those side hustles and prices do not seem to be coming down very far, we're going to start seeing a lot of people underwater, especially when they ran up all that credit card debt, right? Absolutely. And then you look at the average rent, um, especially here in the Valley, you know, we're at 12% inflation. The national average is only 7%. So Valley residents will particularly feel the bite of inflation um, much more than their, you know, average uh, cohort. What do you see as a bright spot? What do you see as some of the things looking forward that are still going to remain strong or be the bright spots? You know, we discussed this term, you and I, the bifurcated consumer market, and it sounds very scary. Basically, all it means is it's a two-sided market. So the bright spot is luxury. Luxury is thriving. Low-end is surviving. So that's all of your dollar stores. And if you're looking at Dollar Tree, Dollar General, in your neighborhood, they're probably popping up. They are building out as fast as they possibly can because that consumer is really trading down from, you know, typical middle market retail and even grocery to the dollar stores. Walmart, again, had a killer quarter. They're innovating. I think they did like 6,000 drone deliveries during the holiday season, which is really innovative for them. So that's been a popular name, one of my favorite stock picks for my clients, and it continues to be so. So when you look forward to this recession, do you see, uh, as we move forward, do you see it getting worse in 2023, or are we going to start seeing a slowing of this inflation and maybe a turnaround? You know, I love to be optimistic, and I think that this recession is not going to be a great one, and I think you're going to see much more um, layoffs coming down the pike. And inflation, I believe, is peaking, so that's a good thing. Supply chain has peaked. All those container costs are coming down. Ocean liner shipping is coming down. So these are all good things that are happening. And, you know, the labor market, considering all these layoffs, is actually moderately robust. So it's not that bad yet, but it is uncertain. And that uncertainty is things that the consumer does not like and the markets don't like uncertainty. You are uh, you are such a wealth of information. I want people to follow you on social media. How can they find you? Oh, thanks so much. So on Twitter, I'm just at Kristen Bentz, and that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-B-E-N-T-Z. And then on Instagram, it's a little bit more fun over there. And you can follow me at Kristen C. Bentz. And that's it. It's always good to talk to you, Kristen. I hope you'll come back soon. I always will. All right, thanks. That's Kristen Bentz, KB Advisory Group. Just a wealth of information and a great guest on the show and a great follow on social media. So follow her. She always puts out great stuff and uh, is, has just been a genius in this industry for such a long time. We're lucky to have her here in the Valley. Uh, in a moment, we're going to talk about the president's visit to Mexico. Was it fruitful? Was it valuable? And then the aftermath and the fallout of the president and his visit to the border. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. If you think you have the oldest AC in the Valley, you could win the brand new high-efficiency AC with an air purifier, courtesy of our friends at Day and Night Air Conditioning. All you have to do is text the word DAY to 411923 to enter. And remember, message and data rates may apply. 
Um, the president visited Mexico. We're going to talk a little bit about that here and also the fallout or aftermath, I should say, of his visit to the border as many people um, – are, are still talking about what's happened at the border. And uh, so I want you to hear uh, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema talking about the border communities and, uh, and the president. It's not fair for border communities like El Paso or in my home state in Arizona, like Yuma, to shoulder the burden of the federal government's failure to address this crisis. And that's exactly what this is, is a repeated failure by administration after administration to manage this crisis. And that's the truth. And so uh, this is a CNN report. This is Rosa Flores from CNN. Why is President Biden being criticized? And that's why the president is being criticized by both sides because of what he didn't see. So let me show you, because this is one of the migrant camps that's here in downtown El Paso. And, you know, the immigration advocates here in El Paso and Governor Greg Abbott usually don't agree on much, but they do raise the same question. If President Biden came here to El Paso to see the reality on the ground, about the border and he didn't come here what's considered the epicenter of this crisis did he leave with a clear understanding and that's the issue and it isn't i will be honest i believe the white house understands the crisis there is no way that they don't have a picture an accurate picture of what's happening at the border whether the president visited the border or not he gets an accurate picture there are reports there are videos there are people on the ground there are things that they get at the white house they are briefed fully on what's going on what it is is the optics because if the president of the united states is standing in the same place that this reporter is if you have a reporter standing there with people lying the streets homeless in the United States waiting for some sort of answer to their immigration status, uh, that is going to look as if the president is standing right in the middle of it and isn't doing anything. So the cleanup wasn't necessarily for the White House not to see it. It was so the White House wasn't seen with it. I think that's more of an accurate picture of what we saw at the border. And that is what's most concerning to a lot of people. Just like we've talked about the Super Bowl, when the Super Bowl here in Arizona, when it was in uh, Tempe, when it was at Sun Devil Stadium. There were a lot of people that were angry that the homeless people were pushed off the streets and into shelters during Super Bowl because they didn't want the world to see homeless the homeless problem in downtown Tempe. And it was an optics thing. It was the optics of it that they didn't want. It wasn't it wasn't satisfying or helping the problem. What it was was uh, making the problem disappear temporarily so it wasn't there for the cameras. And so the issue here is whether or not the president of the United States is going to address this issue in any real way. Uh, there are I will tell you, I am frustrated with both sides of the political aisle. Republicans need to take some responsibility in some of this as well. But the president of the United States sets the policy and border enforcement. That is just the way it is. Just like anything else, the enforcement of laws, there is a lot of discretion at every every level of law enforcement. You know, a law enforcement officer that's working out there on the streets right now that is working traffic has an opportunity or has the discretion to offer you a warning or a reduced fine, reduced the speed you're going on the freeway based on the situation. If you've had a couple of tickets or you've had a couple of warnings, chances are they're not going to give you another warning. If you've got a clean driving record, you're polite to the officer, you're not speeding, you know, that far or over the speed limit, an officer may say, hey, in this case, I'm going to write you a warning so you can keep your clean record, just slow down. That's discretion. 
But when you have leadership saying what laws will be enforced and how and what won't, that is what has people upset. When you've got Secretary Mayorkas blaming the other side of the aisle for things and saying that the Congress needs to act legislatively, this administration, like other administrations, have done things by executive order and by policy. The policies of this administration have caused this problem to grow. There are so many people crossing our border saying that they've been invited across the border by this president. They have not sent a message that they can't stay. They've got to do what they said they were going to do in making sure that the first safe country you come to after leaving yours, that's where you apply for asylum not coming all the way to the U.S. If they enforce that, that will change things. It is about risk and reward. It always is. You know, we had with the Cubans, we had the wet foot, dry foot rule for years, which I've talked so many times about because I'm so familiar with it growing up in South Florida, where uh, boats, makeshift boats would show up on the shores in the Gulf of Mexico or uh, in the on the Atlantic coast, depending which way the tides were pushing them and where they left the island of Cuba. And the rule was if you could get to dry land as a Cuban citizen, then you could claim asylum and you were given immediate asylum because of that regime. What it did was that in incentivized a lot of people to take that risk to get on those makeshift boats. I mean, and we're talking about um, really rickety makeshift rowboats and crossing treacherous waters sometimes in order to try to get to safety, literally being tailed by a Coast Guard ship. If they were caught on the water, they were returned to Cuba. If they were on dry land, they were allowed to stay. The policies of this administration have made it so that nations around the world, but especially in in Central America, are sending their citizens through Mexico to the U.S. border. They're crossing in and demanding asylum, and they are overwhelming a system. And this is where it's been worse now than it's ever been before. That doesn't mean that any president has ever solved this issue. They have not. But this president is not doing anything, and I don't believe they're going to change much of anything. I don't, I don't think they're going to change much of anything at all. We've been um, talking about the governor's state of the state address yesterday, what she said about education. We're going to jump on a couple of the other topics that she addressed during her speech. It was a very broad address. We're going to get more details on Friday of what she'd like to see. But we'll dive into that speech coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show as always. Uh, Governor Katie Hobbs laying out her vision yesterday for the state, talking to the state legislature and things that she would like to accomplish in a broad way. She'll put out a plan on Friday, I believe it is, to let people know more specifically what she would like to get done. Working with the legislature is going to be interesting. There's a one-seat majority in the House and the Senate for the Republican. So they control both chambers, but not by a big margin. What will be the areas where they can work together? Now, there are there's a big difference in what's happening. There were some Republicans that actually turned their backs and walked out on the speech. So, you know, there are some people that just are not going to be um, going to be able to be worked with in the state legislature. And how is this going to work out in the long run? Now, we know that the we talked about education and the spending limit, the spending cap on education, the AEL that has to be overridden. That's got to be done by a two thirds majority. I would say to you, um, 
that I do believe it's going to get done. It may not be immediately. There may be a lot of negotiations that go on. But in the end, I think it's political suicide for somebody to not do this. This is money that's allocated for education that is already in the bank and ready to go to schools. But because of a 1980s law that was passed by a ballot proposition, you can't spend it without this override. And so that override, I think, will get done eventually, just like it did last year and last week of the session. We'll see. We'll see what it takes to get it done. But she talked a lot of other things. She talked about standing up for teachers, about uh, uh, retaining teachers, about how they're going to fund school districts. Um, and she talked about the border. She said, I want you to hear one thing she said. She has invited the Homeland Security Secretary to the border. I have invited Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas to visit the border, the border with me and meet with community leaders, sheriffs, nonprofit representatives, and business executives in impacted communities who all want effective and humane solutions to this longtime challenge. You know, and again, reaching out to the administration is the only thing you can do as governor. The only problem I have with this in a way is that Mayorkas works at the pleasure of the president. It's the president's policies that Mayorkas is there to enforce. And uh, so he can make recommendations. The White House knows what's going on. Was this largely a photo op by the president? Is this going to be kicking the can once again? We're going to find out. So now let's shift to a little bit more some of the other controversial things. And I say controversial because they're passionate issues. The uh, the the topic of abortion. Um, she talked about I just wanted to hear um, about what what she had to say uh, on the topic of reproductive rights. I refuse to stand by and do nothing as my daughter or anyone's daughter now has fewer rights today than I did growing up. An overwhelming majority of Arizonans. More than 90%, in fact, believe abortion should be legal. So when this is a state's issue now, and the governor is ta- saying she's not going to stand by. So what will she do? And this is she talks about protection. It's time we all heed the message of the people of this state and meet this moment to ensure that we can always make our own health care decisions. My administration will always protect reproductive freedom for all Arizonans. I will not support and I will use every power of the governor's office to stop any legislation or action that attacks, strips, or delays the liberty or inherent right of any individual to decide what's best for themselves or their families. You know, um, I... I, When it comes to the topic of abortion, I think there was a big mistake that was made by the Republicans. They should have done something about the archaic law going back to territorial days. And here's why I say this. I've talked about abortion, uh, you know, sporadically because it's such a passionate issue. It's hard to have a discussion with people without it becoming heated. Um, But as someone that is pro-life and I am I am adamantly pro-life, I have argued with the laws that were created in the 1970s and the protections in the 1970s that medical advancement had come so far forward that women were far safer in pregnancies, far, uh, far safer having children. And the babies were able to be saved and and carried to term or or not carried to term. Premature babies were then able to be um, kept alive and have flourishing lives. Um, at much earlier stages in a pregnancy, that the laws were archaic the way they were written in the 1970s. And there were a lot of people that saw changes in the abortion laws and the, the restrictions put in and when abortions were allowed, because uh, let's face it, it's about when life begins, that 
for us to then fall back on a law that goes back to our territorial days is contrary to the argument we've been making on this for such a long time. I think something else should have been done. But that being said, I don't know how much of a priority this is for the people of Arizona. What I mean by that is with everything else that's out there, is this one of the issues? If a Republican ran on a pro-life agenda only, I don't know that that would get them elected to office. And the same is if you are a pro-choice candidate running just on pro-choice, I don't know if that gets you elected to office. Is this something that needs to be addressed? I I think it's absolutely going to be. But how important is this long term in the mind? of people in Arizona. And that's the big question for people is what are the issues? I, I think for me, when you look at the what we're going to see in the economy, for me, that's going to be the big issue in economy is what how much is the government going to change how it addresses what we do with the economy when it comes to education and spending for education? How much will that change with the plans from the governor's office and how will she work with the legislature when it comes time to write that budget? Because remember, there's not going to be anywhere near enough votes to override for the Republicans to override a veto on something. So they're going to have to negotiate. Are we going to see enough of the Republicans that are – there is a balance in standing your ground with non-negotiables and saying these are the areas that we must see and we must have, but also understanding that in order to get things done, you're going to need Democrat support and you're going to need a signature from a Democrat governor. This is going to be a test of of people being able to deal with things – When it comes to policy, gridlock is not an option. We have to balance the budget. What is going to happen here in the state of Arizona? We know that things are going to be different. There is a different set of policies and a different set of priorities coming from this governor's office. How will a Republican-run legislature satisfy their base and their constituents with, with laws, but especially on budgetary things? How will they satisfy their base on those things and still be able to negotiate a signature with the governor? Because it's a two-way street. (laughs) The governor is also going to have to do that. The governor is going to have to satisfy her base, but she knows she has to work. She's not going to get everything she wants because the legislature is controlled by the Republicans. This is – you look at it two ways. Either it's going to be a stalemate. Either it's going to be a just gridlock. Or this is the way government is supposed to be, where you sit down, you hash out negotiations, nobody loses everything, nobody gets everything they want, but everybody goes to the table wanting what's in the best interest for the state of Arizona. Is that possible? Is that possible? Is that possibly what we're going to see here? And we're going to find out. I'm anxious to find out what the deeper plans are this coming Friday. There is a big story about classified documents in the president's office when he was vice president of the United States, and it seems to be very, very similar to what happened with the Donald Trump documents with the FBI raid. Are there similarities, or are these just two very different things like some in the media report? We'll talk about why this is important coming up here in just a couple of moments. (laughs) 
Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, I want to remind everybody, if you think you have the oldest AC in the Valley, you could win a brand new high-efficiency AC and an air purifier courtesy of our friends at Day and Night Air Conditioning. All you have to do to enter this contest is text the word DAY to 411923. That's DAY to 411923. And remember, message and data rates may apply. Uh, the Justice Department is reviewing classified documents found in Biden's post-VP office. So here, let's do, let's take a trip back for a moment. If you remember, there was an FBI raid at former President Trump's house in Mar-a-Lago looking for classified documents that the president had that were not under lock and key. They were not stored properly. And as I said before, there is a, there is a protocol for storing classified documents. Um, and it doesn't matter if they're stored digitally or if they're stored as hard copies. Now, someone older like me, we think about file folders, file cabinets, and locked doors. The digital age, a lot of that is hidden behind a firewall and hidden behind f- locked files with codes and passwords. It doesn't matter. Uh, every secure facility has a room called the skiff, and in the skiff is where classified documents are held. If you have the clearance, documents are left in there for you. Now, that's not a free-for-all. That doesn't mean you just walk in at your leisure and read whatever is in there. You'll get a notification that says you have documents that are yours to read in the skiff. You leave all of your recording devices. You can't take your phones in. You can't take anything in. Not that you can't use them. You cannot even take them into that room. You cannot remove any documents from that room. It doesn't matter where you take them, what you do with them. Removing them from that room is a violation of the law. Um, so uh, just those are the parameters. So going to a couple of things, the president, former president of the United States having classified documents they labeled as classified at his home that were not in a secure location. What kind of a violation was that? Go back a little further with the thousands and thousands of classified emails or emails anyway that were on Hillary Clinton's server that were was erased by the former secretary of state. And um, so look at both of those cases independently for a moment were both violations. There was uh, Huma Abedin, who was her personal assistant, who was her number one. It was was the person who was by her side through all of her years in American politics, was also the wife of former Congressman Anthony Weiner. And we know what happened to him with Twitter and everything else. There were classified documents that were found on his laptop. They were found on his laptop. So there was a time where these documents were abused and where people had mishandled these documents. Is it the end of the world? I don't know the answer to that. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a sir. I don't have a classified clearance. I don't know how big of a violation any of those things are. But when former President Trump had documents, they said they were talking to the National Archives about returning those documents. And you have two sides of a story where the White House, uh, I'm sorry, the former president said it wasn't that big of a deal. My lawyers had been in touch with them, but the FBI descended on his home and they raided his home to take documents back and made a very, very big deal of this. Now we find out there is the same kind of a scenario where documents were mishandled at the president's home back when he was vice president of the United States. Is this as big of a deal? Now, there are some that are saying no, because when they discovered the documents, they cooperated with the federal government and they reached out. They did. They turned themselves in at the same time. The documents had left were taken out of a secure location and stored in an office. 
So the Justice Department has launched a review into the discovery of classified documents at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, an institute in downtown Washington that Joe Biden started after serving as vice president, according to people familiar with the matter. The reason why I bring this up is twofold. If we are committed to national security as a nation, it doesn't matter who it is. I want you to think about airport security. Um, I just traveled for the holidays. When you go through airport security, whether you believe it's tight enough or it or if it's just for show, just hear me out in the analogy. If you believe in airport security, they don't have a line for Republicans and a line for Democrats based on who's in office. Everybody goes through the same security protocol. Take off your shoes, empty your pocket, put your laptops in a separate bin. No liquids. You have to have things in a clear container if there are. There's a limit on what you can carry on, and everything goes through um, goes through the scanner. And then you go through a body scanner as well. That's everyone. Everyone goes through that. It, no one asks your political party. No one asks your political affiliation. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. Everybody goes through it. Why? Security. And it should be the same thing here, the same litmus test. If everybody is going to be up in arms over Trump having documents, they should be up in arms over Hillary Clinton having them or Joe Biden having them. If Trump had them by mistake or on purpose and he wasn't supposed to, there should be punishment. There should be. This is a national security issue. This affects the security of the country. This affects the national security for you and me as citizens of the United States. But at the same time, if there was a security breach here by the vice president of the United States, who is now the sitting president, there should be the same issues. This this political football that we see. And this is all it becomes. So on one side of the aisle, this is just a political attack against Biden and a cover up to help Trump when it's nothing of the same. And that's what basically what um, was said uh, by uh, some people on MSNBC. That that's not even close to being the same. Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And on the other side of it is. Now we should impeach Joe Biden. Well, wait a minute. Then what about what President Trump did? In the end, do we have a set of rules that apply to everyone? Do we have a set of standards that apply to everyone? If classified documents have a required chain of custody and they have to be kept and stored in a certain fashion and they are not, people should be held accountable, period. That's the way it should work. It shouldn't matter who's in office, what political party is there, and it shouldn't be gotcha politics. Is this the end of the world? I doubt it. But again, this is just the place we get to in American politics where everything we talk about has a partisan slant to it. Sometimes right is right and wrong is wrong, and it doesn't matter what political party you're affiliated with. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, the new House Rules Package, as the House of Representatives um, has a new rules package, what's in it and how will it affect you and me. All that's coming up.